Blue Wire. Touchdown pass, 5-4-0 in the 5-0-4. Jackson takes it himself, looking dark back and forth. Oh, he broke his ankle. Watson stays on his feet, throws on the run, touchdown. Watson, a magician. Mahomes winds it up wide open. Welcome back here to another episode of the My Sports Update Football Podcast, brought to you by BetOnline.ag, your online wagering experts. I'm your host, Ari Mayrov. Week one happened. We had real football. We saw some upsets. We saw some things that never changed, like Russell Wilson was still Russell Wilson, and Lamar Jackson was still the Lamar Jackson that we all know and love. Aaron Rodgers became vintage Aaron Rodgers once again. But football was back, it went well, nothing concerning after one week. A couple of things from week one before we get into this week's episode. The last two number one overall picks, Joe Burrow and Kyler Murray. Let me start with Burrow. The Bengals and their fans should be really encouraged because, yes, it's only one week, but the way he played for a rookie quarterback to come out against a very good Chargers defense and actually make plays happen and lead his team down the field, that was impressive. The Bengals should be encouraged. They play this Thursday night against the Cleveland Browns for their Week 2 games, but their future is bright. The Arizona Cardinals with Kyler Murray, my breakout team for this year. They beat the 49ers like I said they would on last week's episode of the podcast. DeAndre Hopkins was unstoppable. Kyler Murray was making plays left and right. It wasn't always pretty, but I'm telling you now, this team will make trouble in the NFC. I don't make that many predictions, but... You know, I've been saying it all offseason. I'm all in on this Arizona Cardinals team. There is something special building there. I truly believe it. I was not surprised that they won on Sunday over San Francisco. That defense is good enough. The offense is great and will only get better. I do believe Kyler will be in the MVP mix this season. And I do believe the Cardinals have a serious shot and making the playoffs this year in 2020. They face the Washington football team here in week two. How about the Jacksonville Jaguars? On this podcast a few weeks ago when I was doing the AFC preview with my guest Jordan Schultz, we both said that the Jaguars will not be as bad as people are making it out to be. Gardner Minshew last year was in the Rookie of the Year mix with Kyler Murray. He made plays last year. He was impressive at times. They have young, talented players on that roster like a DJ Shark, like a Josh Allen, Chase on, CJ Henderson, Miles Jack. There are pieces there, and Gardner Minshew is not a bad quarterback. I'm not saying they will make the playoffs, but... They will be that team that is tough to beat. They're going to be a gritty and annoying team similar to the Dolphins last year. I know everyone thinks Trevor Lawrence to Jacksonville. Don't count out Gardner Minshew. Minshew is someone who really, I believe, 
could, you know, lead this team to wins this year. I could see the Jaguars winning five, six, maybe surprise people get the seven wins. You know, it's a team that will be annoying to beat and they are going to create some trouble this season like they just did in week one to the Colts. All right, much more on week one with my guest coming up, former Steelers cornerback and now CBS Sports Analyst Bryant McFadden was my guest as we talked about the best and worst from opening week and we looked ahead to week two. But first, a word from our sponsors. This football season will, of course, be different. We all know that. And Pepsi is here to get you ready for game day, no matter how you watch this season. Pepsi is the refreshment you need to power through game day and become a member of the League of Football Watchers. These passionate fans are the real generational talent that Pepsi fuels. Because Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game, it's made for those who watch it. Pepsi, made for football watching. And also, this week's episode is also brought to you by Indeed. Even though sports had a break, your business did not, you have to keep moving. And that makes hiring more important than ever before. Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. They make it happen right away. Unlike other websites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time and there are no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the important hire you need just like they have for over three million businesses. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. That is Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire, B-L-U-E-W-I-R-E. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through September 30. All right, so now here is my full discussion with former Steelers cornerback and now CBS Sports NFL analyst Brian McFadden. We looked back at week one, the best and worst from opening week, and then look ahead to week two as well at some of the marquee matchups on the slate this week. This is now his second time on the podcast. He was on here back in May, and he shared a bunch of great stories from his time in Pittsburgh with those amazing defenses. Go check that out if you did not listen to it. It was one of my favorite episodes. But now, here is my full discussion with Brian McFadden. All right, joining me now here on the My Sports Update Football Podcast, he's a former NFL cornerback, two-time Super Bowl champion with the Pittsburgh Steelers, and he's now a NFL analyst for CBS Sports. Back here for a second time, it is Brian McFadden. Brian, what's happening? How are you? Man, I'm doing pretty good, man. I'm excited about where we are right now. We have football, so I'm excited, man. I'm smiling from ear to ear. Football is back. Yep, exactly. Football is back. Week one happened. We had Thursday night. We had Sunday. We had Sunday night. We had Monday night. We got through all of that. Teams traveled. Teams traveled back. 
all is well after one week, which is awesome. And honestly, it kind of went better than what I expected because, and I'll start with this here, because, you know, all offseason long, we kept on hearing about how there's no camp, there's no preseason, and because of that, it's going to equal sloppy play and a bunch of penalties, and we're going to have a bunch of injuries. That didn't happen. What did you think of the quality of play in week one? I think it was pretty good. I think it was pretty good. I think anytime, uh, you know, you look at the first few weeks of the season, uh, even when you're going about the year in a regular, normal fashion, you will see some sloppy play. You will see some, uh, you know, unnecessary penalties and things like that. And, of course, injuries will always circulate around the football game, you know, the game of football. But I think for the most part, you know, fans were – were pleased with the product they saw in the football field, regardless if your favorite team won or lost. I think you walked away from watching that ball game, whatever ball game it was you watched or whatever ball games you watched through over the, through, throughout the course of the weekend, you walked away pleased. For sure. You know, I don't think the NFL will ever eliminate the preseason. I think it's going to stay. But, you know, four has to be too much. I think they have to cut it down to two. As a veteran player, when you were in the league, what did you think of four preseason games every year? I mean, as a veteran player, they were annoying, right? Because when you're a veteran player, nine times out of ten, you have really solidified yourself Mm -hmm. on your team, you know, within the organization. So, having four preseason games might be something you don't need. Now, younger players, they need preseason. I was a second-round draft pick, and the preseason for me was, was very, very important because, number one, you got a chance to really get accustomed to the NFL game. Secondly, you got an opportunity to show the organization they made the right selection. And, and last, you know, you have an opportunity of, to build confidence within yourself that you can play on the highest level, which is the National Football League. So I think it's, it, it's a toss-up, depending on who you're asking. But most veteran players, yeah, you know, that's why you don't usually see them participate a lot in the preseason matchups because either they have solidified their starting spot, they have nothing really else, they have nothing to prove, or they're trying to get a spot. You know, so you have those players that are trying to get, the, get a spot, like some of the veteran players, and you have the young players that are trying to showcase what they can do. And then what about the guys who don't get drafted? You know, you have a lot of unknown players that get into the league via free agency and they open a lot of eyes. You remember, go back some years back. uh, I remember when Hard Knocks was there with Rex Ryan in the Jets and they played against the Giants. And at that time, Victor Cruz, who wore number three, Mm -hmm. earned a spot. We all watched him make that team in the preseason. So you have a lot of feel-good stories like Victor Cruz who needed the preseason to be able to get a roster spot and keep it. So it it, it can go either way, but I think preseason is something that is needed going forward. Uh, I don't necessarily say we need to have four, but at least, you know, two or three. I think that would be serviceable for guys that are not high-invested guys. Right, and I've spoken to a bunch of people about this. You know, coaches, when they go into training camp, Usually they know 45 out of the 53 players will make the roster. When you have camp, when you have preseason, you're looking to find those hidden gems on your roster, like a Victor Cruz, like an Adam Thielen, like a Philip Lindsay, all these undrafted guys who end up popping. So, you know, we didn't have that this year, but I do agree with you. And I've spoken to many people about this, that four is too much. Having two feels like the right number. And, you know, looking at week one from all the players who did play, it felt like the kickers 
were the ones who missed the preseason. They were dreadful, but everyone else, it felt like the games really went pretty crisp in week one. Yeah, I really enjoyed the product that we saw. Like I said, I think it was, uh, you know, clearly highly anticipated. You know, there was no letdown from where, from where I was watching the ball games, no letdown at all. Exactly. Let's talk about some of these week one games. And we'll start with the Monday night game. Your former team, the Steelers, they dominate the Giants. That defense is insane. The offense started clicking as the game went on. I said this on the podcast when you were on. I said it after as well that the Steelers are a dark horse Super Bowl team if Ben is healthy. After seeing them play last night, that isn't so crazy anymore, right? Uh, no, not really. I think, you know, what we saw last night, let's talk about the offense first and foremost. Big Ben he looked a bit to be a bit rusty. And then I think he started to kind of get into the flow of the ball game right before halftime, that two-minute warning, uh, two-minute drill situation where he eventually threw a touchdown pass to, I think, Juju Smith-Schuster, the mm-hmm. first one of the night. You started to see Big Ben kind of get in the flow of the ball game. And I think uh, not surprised to see the slow start from Big Ben because, remember, we just talked about the preseason. Big Ben basically missed a full year last year. Right. He played in a game and a half and he set out the entire season after that injury week two, I think it was. So mm-hmm. he, he's been able to practice throughout training camp. But this was his first game atmosphere because there was no preseason ball game. So we saw some rustiness from Big Ben. But I think when he started to get into rhythm, everything started to really click on the offense, especially the ground game when Benny Snell jumped into the lineup. So that's a plus. And the defense, man, all they did was left off. They picked up right where they left off at from last year. I mean, that unit has an opportunity to be a real dominating unit throughout the season if they stay healthy. And they, all they did was showcase what they can do. And I think that has to be the driving stick for this team. Until Big Ben gets into full rhythm, the defense has to lead the way like they did. And I think when they – when they're able to get the offense on the same level, I mean, they're, they're going to be an entertaining ball club to watch. For sure. You know, there are so many great players on this defense. I'm here from New York, so I talk to Giants fans all the time. They are excited for Daniel Jones. But at times last night, it felt like he was running for his life. Saquon Barkley is a top three running back in football. Six yards on 15 carries. That is absolutely insane. It felt like he was running into a brick wall each time he got the ball. And you know what else? I truly believe the Ravens-Steelers rivalry will be back this year. I think it's back on. They face off in week seven for the first time. And after the game, in the post-game show, Ben Roethlisberger said, and you've played on some great defenses on the Steelers, he said this is one of the best defenses I've ever been on. And that is one of the main reasons he came back. I mean, listen, they have the potential to be one of the best defenses that Big Ben has played with. And I think they have all the tools they need to have. But – the thing that I like about their defense, the togetherness. That is what we had when I was there. We were a group that was gelled in. We were locked in. We were together. There were no individuals on our defenses. And I see the same personality with the current group there in Pittsburgh. And they know they're good. The thing is, they lost only one player from the outstanding defense last year. And that's Hargraves, who signed a contract, new contract with the Philadelphia Eagles. Mm-hmm. Everybody else returned. Right. And you added a few pieces here and there when you look at the depth standpoint as well. So, listen, that matchup with Baltimore, I know we were weeks away from that, but whew, you can print the headlines now. Lamar Jackson, Pittsburgh Steelers defense. You know, that's going to be a star-studded uh-huh. matchup. But, you know, Pittsburgh got a ways to go before they, before they can even think about uh, the Baltimore Ravens. 
Uh, but they got to take one game at a time, one week at a time. And I think they understand that because of the experience they have on both sides of the football and just knowing how important every game is. Yep, definitely. This team is loaded. And, you know, next week they have the Denver Broncos. If they start off 2-0, and they're off and running. And I do believe that Ben Roethlisberger, assuming he's healthy, he's going to get into rhythm. Because the only thing we hear about right now out of Pittsburgh is that he feels as good as ever coming back from that elbow surgery. Now, coming into the year, obviously Pittsburgh was one of the teams that I was really high on. The other in the NFC was the Arizona Cardinals. And the last time that you were on this podcast, I asked you a question about which team is an up-and-coming team in the NFL. And you said the Arizona Cardinals. And ever since then, after that podcast, and I agreed with you when you said it, but ever since then, I've said on this podcast multiple times that the Arizona Cardinals are going to make the playoffs. I said last week that they will beat the San Francisco 49ers, and they did. And I do believe that Kyler Murray will be in the MVP conversation this season. How impressed? Were you surprised at all that they came out and they defeated the reigning NFC champions? Uh, tell you the truth, I know the listeners might be like, yeah, he's just talking. Uh, but I wasn't at all. I, I, ex- I kind of expected to see the Cardinals go into San Francisco and beat them. The reason why I say that is because, go back to last year, the Arizona Cardinals played San Francisco tough both times last year. Mm-hmm. They played them extremely tough. It wasn't like they were just getting blown out of the water. They played the 49ers tough. And we know how good the 49ers was last year. So coming into this matchup with the unknown, no preseason, right? Didn't get a chance to really see what D-Hop looks like in the Arizona Cardinals uniform and how they're going to use him. And then the key exception that Arizona has, they have the, the main ingredient you need to be successful against the San Francisco 49ers, and that's Kyler Murray mm-hmm. with his athleticism and how he can make people miss. And he, we saw that. He didn't have his best game throwing the football, but he had his best game creating plays, right? 13 carries, I think, for over 90 yards or so. He ran for a touchdown. He threw for a touchdown. And his offensive line did a real good job. They only surrendered two sacks. Now, granted, when you have a mobile quarterback, you might not give up the sacks that you think you should give up because of what he can do. But playing against that D-line, the hype that that D-line had following them, the offensive line played a pretty – they did a pretty good job. And then D-Hop, I mean, listen, I don't know what the Houston Texans were thinking, Bill (laughs) O'Brien was thinking, but – Seeing what happened Thursday night, if you're a Texans fan, right, seeing some of the missed opportunities from the pass catchers. And then if you didn't watch San Francisco play Arizona, you heard about that. And if you saw, if you saw the stat line, D-Hop had 14 receptions on 16 targets. So there were only two incompletions when he was targeted for 151 yards, right? That is elite-type production. And you once had that said player in your organization. So now when you give Kyler Murray a bona fide number one target that is still playing at an elite level, that's one thing along with Kenyon Drake. You still got Larry Fitzgerald. And you look at the defense. The defense did a pretty good job Mm -hmm. uh, against Jimmy Garoppolo. I mean, especially on third down. I think they were like 2 or 13 on third down. They weren't efficient in the red zone. And that was the big Achilles heel for Arizona last year. Their defense was horrible. So I think they have improved along with Kyler Murray. That's why I wasn't surprised based on the personnel they now have in Arizona compared to what they had last year. All right, I wasn't that surprised either. You know, I picked them to win this game. And you talk about that defense, you know, 
It wasn't so good last year. Patrick Peterson was suspended. He comes back. He's still a top corner in this league. He's in a contract year, so you know he's going to be playing really well in order to get that next contract, right? You have Chandler Jones, Buda Baker, Jordan Hicks, Jordan Phillips, Isaiah Simmons, Devon Kennard, Byron Murphy. This team has pieces, and we talked about it, you know, all offseason about continuity. You want a team that has the same quarterback, the same head coach in a year like this. Arizona had that, and I've said this on the podcast before as well. The biggest mistake Cliff Kingsbury made last year, and he said this in an interview, is that he didn't unleash his offense last year in the preseason. And because of that, they started slow last year. And as the season went on, they started clicking and clicking. And by the end of last year, it felt like they really were starting to get hot. That's why I felt like this year, especially after adding Hopkins, this is a team that will do really well. And it showed on Sunday. And now week two, they get a team in Washington who has a very good defensive line. And, you know, I really feel like if they could come up with, come out with a win over here in week two, this is a team that will be a serious threat in the NFC West. A serious threat in the NFC West, a serious threat in the NFC. When you have a quarterback, you have a shot. Everything, you know, uh, evolves around the quarterback. And if you have a quarterback, you have the shot. You have a shot. And that's what we're seeing. Kyler Murray didn't play his best football game, but he competed for four quarters. He did not lay down. And in my opinion, I don't know what the, the, the consensus would say. I believe Kyler Murray is the second best quarterback in that division. I think in the NFC West, Kyler Murray's the second-best quarterback in that That's division. It starts with Russell, curly-haired mm-hmm. Wilson, and then Kyler Murray, and then you can close your eyes and pick Jared Goff or Jimmy Garoppolo. But in my, with, in my, my personal view, right, my personal opinion, I think Kyler Murray's the second-best quarterback in that division. And I would agree with that. You know, there's something in the NFL about second-year quarterbacks. We've seen this last year. Lamar Jackson, second-year, second wins MVP. Patrick Mahomes, second-year, wins MVP. Carson Wentz, if he does not get hurt in the second year, he wins MVP. Kyler Murray, in his second year, I haven't been in that conversation. I would not be shocked at all if he ends up winning it this year. That's how high I am on this Arizona Cardinals team i gotta ask you this here let's move on to another game here that happened on sunday you're a former defensive back the cowboys rams game the way it ended what did you think of that offensive pass interference call in that game was that opi or not uh yes by the letter of the law yes it was do you usually see that call called no and i'm surprised they did call it but one thing i noticed throughout the weekend, uh, throughout weekend, the, the games this weekend, the referees were very, very sensitive in calling offensive PI. And I'm okay with that being a former defender because that little extension can create separation. And you don't usually see that. I hand fighting back and forth, yes. Both players were hand fighting. But if this was the other way around, and if Jalen Ramsey extended his arm like Gallup did, the referees probably would have called him for defensive pass interference. So me personally, it was a bang-bang play. Um, it happened extremely fast. And for all the people that are listening to us right now, you, can't, you cannot tell me you have not seen wide receivers do that and they don't usually get called for it. But from the defender standpoint, that small little shove is all they need to create separation. So by the letter of the law, it was offensive PI, but I think – we're getting into an area where referees are being told to monitor offensive PI opportunities. 
We saw that with the A.J. Green, Casey Hayward play. Mm -hmm. uh, when they called back that touchdown, clearly that was more blatant. I mean, that was obvious. Gotcha. You know what I mean? That was, that was definitely obvious. But for the Cowboy fans that are saying that was a bad call, I see where you're coming from. But if it was the other way around, and that's what I tell fans all the time, if you're complaining about a call, just imagine if it was the other way around and you are a part of the, the player that the call was called against, you would take it. You know what I mean? So for Cowboy fans, if that was a Cowboy corner and an L.A. Round fan did that, you're hollering that that was OPI. So you have to sometimes take your bias out of a situation and go with it. That's not the reason why they lost the ball game. No, that one play is not why you lost the ball game. There, are, there were like 20 plays you can go back to that would have put them in a position to win that ball game. Just so happened that play happened at the end of the game. You know, it's interesting that you bring this up because I've been thinking about this as well. And you're the first person to me that I've heard mention this. I don't remember a time where we've seen this many OPIs called late in the game. I'm not used to that. I think that something mm -hmm. changed in this offseason. I feel like something happened this offseason that the referees were, I mean, you know, people in the, in the league office told the referees to keep an eye on that. And Tony Carrenti, who was the official for that game, said it was clear and obvious that Gallup's hand was on Ramsey and that created separation. And officials will not allow that happen at any time, regardless of what quarter it is. So I do think Ramsey sold it nicely. It kind of reminds me of the offensive pass interference called on George Kittle in the Super Bowl. Mm -hmm. but, yeah, so like I feel like something though did change this offseason. I really don't remember a time where we've had this many happen late in games. I really don't. Yeah, I, I agree too. And I, now I'm, I might be a bit biased because I play right. DB, but I mean that little tug, that little uh, extension can go a long way when you need when a wide receiver needs uh, some separation. For sure. So it, it's interesting. It's something that I will be monitoring as the season goes along, if that continues happening as the season rolls on. Let's talk about the Green Bay Packers. You know, Aaron Rodgers was vintage Aaron Rodgers on Sunday. They dismantled Minnesota. There was so much talk about this team in the offseason after trading for Jordan Love. Do you think Aaron has like this chip on his shoulder this year to prove he still got it? Because he was near perfect on Sunday. Oh, no question. Aaron Rodgers is a competitor. Uh, I think he felt some type of way. He felt insulted with the first-round selection of Jordan Love. And I understand they want to prepare for the future, but me personally, there's no need to prepare for life after Aaron Rodgers because I still believe he has five, six years of good football left to be played in his career. And he continues to show you what he can do. All he has is one bona fide pass catcher and Devontae Adams, and he makes the others look good. That's what great quarterbacks do. You know, they make the other players look good. Aaron Rodgers, now, we know this is a different Minnesota Vikings defense. They were missing uh, Hunter, who wasn't in the lineup, but they had Yannick Ngakwe from Jacksonville, a revamped secondary, but you still have uh, Harrison Smith in the lineup and the others, but Aaron Rodgers has had a field day. I mean, number one, Devontae Adams has showed up. At some point in time, you got to try to double the man, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, he finished with 14 catches, but hey, when he gets to eight, let's find a plan. Let's put a plan in place and say, you know what? We, we don't have anybody that can cover him one-on-one. -on -one. Let's cloud him and, and devote some attention to him. But man, listen, Aaron Rodgers put up an MVP-like performance week one. He still has his arm strength. He still has his arm accuracy. Uh, he still has the mobility to make people miss in the pocket. He has everything that he had four years ago, right? So that's yeah. why so many people were surprised about the first-round selection because 
Aaron Rodgers is great, but yeah, he would love to have some additions to help him become greater. And they didn't do that. And I guess they felt like, you know what? Let's see what he can do. And he can still do a lot, in my opinion. For sure. How much do you think players look into what is said in the media? Because I feel like he read and saw and heard everything that was said about him this offseason, and that just motivated him to just go off. Yeah. Now, see, the thing is, it's not like some players search for things that are being said in the media regarding them or their team, but it will get back to them. Because how social media is set up, if you're involved in social media to a degree, you will hear what people are saying about you. If you watch television, you will hear what people are saying about you, reading, reading the newspaper, whatever the case may be. So I don't think Aaron Rodgers looks to see what is being said regarding him and his team, but it comes back to him. And clearly the draft is something that he watched, right? I believe mm -hmm. he watched the draft. If he didn't watch the draft, he heard exactly what happened. So no question, he felt some type of way. And I think he understands that the doubters will drive him to be great. And I think great players have that. They look for that small spark. I mean, watching um, uh, Michael Jordan in the last dance, he always looked for a small spark. Remember when Aaron Rodgers got drafted, he felt some type of way about the San Francisco 49ers taking mm -hmm. Alex Smith over him, and he held that grudge for quite some time, right? <laughs> he held that grudge for quite some time. So I think Aaron Rodgers is looking for something they to add fuel to his fire and when they drafted Jordan Love that's what he needed to show not just the organization but the entire NFL world like yo don't put some respect on my name man I still got it I'm still a bad man I'm still the people's champ exactly you know Rogers has already said that he doesn't think he finishes his career in Green Bay he said that on Kyle Brandt's podcast so he knows what's going on but I feel like you know I do think he benefited as you said without Daniel Hunter there and it was a unproven secondary but he was just superb, and he gets the Detroit Lions at home this week in week two. Last team I want to talk about here before we go to talk about the games here in week two is the Cleveland Browns, who play on Thursday night. You know, I came into this season thinking that it's a team that could make the playoffs. I didn't think they'll win on Sunday, but I was expecting them to be competitive, right? And they were just pathetic. Are the Ravens just too good, or is something clearly wrong with this team? Listen, the Ravens are good. The Ravens are a clear-cut playoff-caliber team. I think we all would agree to that, correct? Yes, easily. Yes. So the Ravens are good. No knock, no, no, no love loss in losing to the Ravens. Uh, you lose to the Ravens, it's like that's what we expected. But the way they lost, I mean, they lost by, what, 31, 32 points, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. They got, they, yes, they got 21. They got put off the sticks. You know, that's what we call when you play Madden and someone put 21 points on you, you have to drop the sticks and end the game instantly because <laughs> – that it's over. You got 21. They got 21. And the thing that I don't understand with Cleveland is this. Baker Mayfield in year one, when he finally became the starting quarterback, he, he really surprised a lot of folks. The expectations came. You add a few pieces. You add Odell Beckham Jr. in year two. The hype was following them. He didn't live up to the billing. Now, this year, a, a new head coach, new staff, some added pieces on the offensive line, Hooper. Okay, you think he should be able to get back to what he did in year one. No. The issue that I have with Cleveland, and Baker as an individual, he has to perform better. He has to perform better. But the issue that I have with Cleveland is this. Help your young quarterback perform better. Help your young quarterback perform better. The, offensively, their mentality, their football DNA should be running the football. That should be the number one 
two they go to running the football. But when you're trying to run the football and you have two feature guys on your team, two feature guys as in two number one running backs, it's not going to work. These two guys can't coexist. I'm talking about Nick Chubb. I'm talking about Kareem Hunt. Two outstanding guys that have showed they can be a lead dog in the NFL. If I'm not mistaken, I think at, at I know Kareem Hunt. I think he led the league in rushing one time, and I know Nick Chubb recently did it as well. If I'm not mistaken, these two guys can dominate, but they mm -hmm. cannot coexist. The reason why they can't coexist because they never can get into a rhythm. You cannot be a top-tier guy and only get 10 carries. Think about this. Nick Chubb, who tore Baltimore up last year one game, I think he had almost 200 yards, so I had on my fantasy team. Week four, yeah. Week four, tore the Ravens up. So they know what he can do, but you only give Nick Chubb 10 carries. But get this, listeners, he, had, he averaged six yards a carry. He had 10 carries for 60 yards. Just imagine if he had 20 carries. But it's almost impossible for Chubb to get 20 carries because you know why? You got Kareem Hunt as well. So this is my logic when you look at having two feature running backs on the same team. It's like having two number one quarterbacks on the same team, and you want to play both. If you're playing two quarterbacks, you basically have none. You know, I know it's the old football saying, it's a cliche, you have two quarterbacks, you have none. It's right. the same thing when it comes to the running back because neither guy can get into a rhythm and they're both different runners. So the offensive line can't get a feel for what either guy going, will do because they're splitting time, which doesn't make any sense. And it totally messes up the chemistry offensively because they don't have the quarterback that can win ball games just being one-dimensional and throwing the football. They need to rely on the running game, but it's hard to do that when you're trying to satisfy two featured running backs. They signed Kareem Hunt to an extension. Yes. Didn't make any sense to me because now you're trying to tell me he's your future, but you still have, you still have Nick Chubb. One of these guys got to go. It's so interesting you bring this up because somebody else actually brought this up to me as well when they signed Hunt to the extension. And actually, Hunt got a second-round tender this offseason, which – for him is a pretty high tender because they could have just given him the original tender since he was a third round pick. So it proves that they're really high on him. And when they gave him the extension, it's like, okay, don't you guys also have Nick Chubb who was second in rushing last year, lost in a week 17 to Derrick Henry, but still he was fantastic. Hunt gets 13 carries this game and then Chubb only gets 10 and you kind of, it does make sense. You know, with the offensive line, with the running backs. You got to get into a rhythm. The only team I've ever seen that actually had success with multiple running backs that I remember was the Giants in 07 or 08 when they had Brandon Jacobs and Derek Ward. That's the only time I remember where two running backs, um, you know, existed together. Both of them had over a thousand yards together. But other than that, I don't really remember a time where it's actually worked and, you know, worked nicely. It's, it's a good point that and, you make there. And in the example you gave, they were able to coexist because they were two different runners. You know what I mean? Brandon Jacobs was a, was a, a, a player of his own. These two guys are like, like the same player almost. They, they are, they're like the same. That you can't, it's hard to get into a rhythm. You know, if you ever played the game of football, if you ever played sports, if you're in a few plays and you're out, you never can get in the flow of the game. Now, it would be one thing if they had two guys that are not clearly the featured guy. It's, you know, like, like with the Los Angeles Rams, right? You guys watch the Rams play the Cowboys uh, Sunday night, and you saw a rotation, right? You saw Cam Akers, you saw Brown, you saw Henderson. That's okay because they don't have that clear-cut number, the featured guy. But when you have a featured guy, right, and he is durable, you have to get him at least 20 to 25 touches. 
It has to happen because he's a difference maker. And their offense is more equipped to be successful when they have a reliable ground game to rely on. Both guys ran the ball well. Kareem Hunt had 13 carries for 72 yards. He averaged five and a half yards per carry. And then I talked about Chubb had six yards per carry. They both averaged a half a first down basically on a carry. But you can't get both guys going at any given time because you're trying to satisfy. My personal opinion, like I said, they would be better with one of these guys gone. They're not going to be successful because guess what? Nick Chubb almost led the league in rushing, splitting carries toward the second half of the season, and he mm -hmm. still came up short behind Derrick Henry. But what did that do to the rhythm of the offense? Nothing. Because you, you're switching up the rhythm. Like I said, the same one for, for quarterbacks. If you're playing two quarterbacks, you have none. It messes up the rhythm, and the same can be said for running backs, especially when you have two featured guys that can easily be a lead dog in an offensive backfield. That's interesting. It's a very interesting point you make there. And we've said this over and over. You know, there's way too much talent for this team not to be good. You mentioned Hunt and Chubb. We'll see how that works out as the season goes on. Odell and Landry, Hooper, a solid offensive line. And remember this, you know, this regime did not draft Baker Mayfield. If he really does struggle this season, it's fair to ask the question if they just move on and find their own guy. Browns take on the Bengals on Thursday night. One more thing on the Browns, I got to ask you. Odell Beckham Jr., this is now year two. He has just not clicked with Baker. It feels like it's being forced sometimes. Do you feel like they figure something out of Odell? What's going on here with him? Well, for some reason, Odell is not clicking with his quarterback. That's the issue. I mean, he was targeted. I think he had double-digit targets, if I'm not mistaken, uh, in the first game against uh, Baltimore. But I think he only finished with maybe uh, – let me pull it up. He finished two with catches. two catches, yo, yeah. for with 10 targets. So that's a, that's a chemistry thing. Baker has yet to find out what Odell does well running routes, and he just can't connect with him while he's running routes. Odell is an exceptionally talented wide receiver. He's arguably one of the more talented wide receivers in the game, and we know he can put up numbers. He put up numbers on a, on a bad offensive team in New York mm -hmm. when all they had was basically Odell. But for some reason, the chemistry is not there. It's not there with Odell, and it's, it's sad because – it's almost like he's wasting quality good years playing in Cleveland because he's not putting up the numbers that we know he can put up. So I know they're talking about rumors of trading Odell. Me personally, no, I wouldn't try to trade Odell. The, the, the player I would try to trade is either Chubb or Hunt. That's the player I would try. I would try to trade one of those players. And I can tell you this much, talking about Baker Mayfield, <clears throat> I think their first, well, their first three games is Baltimore, Cincinnati. Cincinnati and Washington, right? Mm -hmm. If, and I'm going to say this right now for everybody that's listening, uh, I'm a Steeler fan through and through, but I'm being unbiased here and giving my take about Cleveland because I love watching quality football play and, and, and I'm a big time Nick Chubb fan and, and I love watching Odell play as well. If this is a must win for this organization, but it's more of a must win for Baker Mayfield. Because the reason why I say that, listeners, is if they lose on primetime TV to Cincinnati, and if you watch Cincinnati against uh, the Chargers, clearly they needed some preseason activity to kind of get things going. And they have a rookie quarterback. But if they lose to Cincinnati in Cincinnati, there's a good chance we would see a quarterback change going into week three against Washington. Because this is pretty much – 
these two next week ball games should be the easy part of their schedule. You got Cincinnati, and I know Washington beat Philadelphia, but come on, Washington, we know they're not a playoff caliber team. But if you go 0-3 going into Dallas, your season is over. Just to mention this, the backup quarterback is Case Keenum. Case Keenum yeah. knows Kevin Stefanski from Minnesota. He was this no quarterback's question. coach. So there is some familiarity there. They signed him to two-year, a pretty solid deal. I said it, I said it before, this regime is not the regime that drafted Baker Mayfield. And if they do lose mm-hmm. to Cincinnati, they do lose to Washington, and Baker doesn't play well, I think that is a fair question to ask what they do with Baker Mayfield because it has not worked. I feel bad because this is now his, what, his fourth head coach, three head coaches, one interim. So it's kind of tough on him, but there's way too much talent for this not to work. And after last week where they just get demolished, they have a Thursday night game under the lights. Everyone is going to be watching if he does struggle against the Cincinnati team that as of right now, it looks like Geno Atkins is not going to play. It's a big piece not playing. If you can't get it done against them. Yeah, got- and, and this, like you said, this staff, they're not invested in Baker. They, they didn't draft him. Exactly. And another thing that, that puts more pressure on Baker and the organization wanting to see Baker play to his best is look at look at let's look throughout the NFL. Look at look at let's look at some of the young quarterbacks that are exceeding expectations. We just talked about Kyler Murray. You even said you wouldn't be surprised to see Kyler Murray in year two have his name involved in the MVP award, right? Look at Josh Allen. We don't need we don't have to talk about the likes of Lamar Jackson and guys like that. But look at Gardner Minshew, right? Mm-hmm. Let's look at the mustache. I mean, Gardner Minshew is playing good football. I mean, you got so many young quarterbacks that are standing up throughout the National Football League that most of them are exceeding the expectation. So that all has to be tied to Baker Mayfield because those guys are his peers. You know what I mean? So for me, it's a lot at stake this week. And I know you don't never want to say this is a must win. But you cannot lose to Cincinnati. Cleveland, you cannot lose to Cincinnati. You can't. This is a must-win for Cleveland. And it's more of a must-win for the quarterback. Because if they lose and he puts up below-average numbers, similar to what we saw against Baltimore, now you might start hearing the, 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 the rumors, the talks. All right? Because you got – and we know one thing about Case Keenum. Case Keenum is like, 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 uh, yeah, like Nick Foles. He's one of the best babysitters of the quarterback position in the National <laughs> Football League. Yes. He plays his best football babysitting the quarterback position. Now, don't go out and give him a handsome ransom, a nice contract, because he's going to revert back to the guy who he once was. <laughs> but as a backup, and he knows that system well, man, please. It's, it's, it's a great point, and we hear this stat every year. I'll say it again here. If the Browns do lose, and I don't want to overreact, but if they do lose and they go 0-2, you know, since 1990, only 12% of teams to start 0-2 ended up turning it around and making the playoffs. So it's a stat to keep in mind if something does go wrong on Thursday night for Cleveland. All right, let's talk about some games here in week two. And I want to start with the Sunday night game because Patriots-Seahawks is so intriguing to me. We talked about Cam Newton all offseason and if this and if it will work with Bill, right? That was the big question everyone was asking. It looked pretty good on Sunday. Now, they get a tougher matchup under the lights against Seattle. Do you think Cam's level of play is sustainable moving forward? Not the running. I think that was cool week one. I think it was great for Cam because, you know, he get an opportunity to really show you that he's healthy. Uh, but that's not sustainable, especially for an older quarterback. He ran the ball 15 times. I actually think he led the team in rushing. 
15 times for over 70 yards and a few touchdowns. Mm -hmm. uh, but nah, that's not sustain sustainable because we know about his injury history. It was great week one, but now you got to find a way to allow him to do more with his arm than his leg because you don't want to put him in harm's way because now you lose Cam Newton, you lose the season, in my opinion. So I like the option that you have with him because at any given time you can implement him into the running game, but you don't want that to be the standard. You don't want that to be the standard. Anytime you have to rely on your quarterback having double-digit rushes and potentially leading you in rushing, if you have to rely on that, you're not going to go far. Yeah, Cam completed 79% of his passes in this game. He ran it 15 times, led the team in rushing with 75 yards. He took hits. He looks like he's happy. And this game is interesting because, of course, these two teams met in the Super Bowl in 2014. So much has changed since then. And this is how much. Listen to this stat. Only seven players from that Super Bowl will be active for this game. Only two of them from the Patriots, Julian Edelman and Devin McCourty. So a lot of change. But, you know, going back to Cam, I liked what I saw against the Dolphins. I liked what Bill Belichick said after the game that we are going to cater to what he does. And he knows how to run. He can use his feet. So we're going to do that. But I don't want to see, I don't want to see him doing it. 15 times a game, especially now in this stretch where he's going to have a Seattle defense with Jamal Adams and Bobby Wagner coming at him. And later on in the year where he has to face a team like the 49ers and the Chiefs and all these other great teams in Baltimore, right? So calm down a little bit on the running, but I am excited to see what he does moving forward. It was a great sign what happened on Sunday, that's for sure. Uh, yes, it's a, it's a great sign. I think we, we see what Cam can look like in this offense and I, I know we all gave our opinions about what the offense will look like but now coming from Sunday we actually got a chance to see what he can look like and it's a different offense it's, it's a different vibe but we got we also too have to remember Cam didn't play in any preseason activity so it's going to take some time for him to kind of get acclimated uh when it comes to throwing the football and how they like to throw the football but all in all they're wanting to know it was a big time division win and now it's off to Seattle where their tests will get harder. And let's see exactly what the offensive game plan will be going against the Seahawks. It's going to be interesting. Let's talk about those Seahawks team because all offseason long, the one thing we kept on hearing is the Seahawks have to let Russell Wilson just throw the ball and do his thing. He finally got a chance to do that on Sunday, and he was amazing. He was lights out. He destroyed the Falcons secondary. What do you think of the Seahawks? Because we always hear about the Saints and the Bucks and the 49ers and those teams. If the Seahawks let Russell Wilson do this, do you think this is a team that could finally get back to where they were back in 2014, 2015? Uh, no question. See, the thing is about the Seahawks, they're very, very underappreciated. And Russell Wilson, to a degree, is underappreciated. Because the other teams you talked about in the NFC, they have real good quarterback play. But Russell Wilson has performed just as good as those quarterbacks or not even better, in my opinion. So, and I mentioned this earlier uh, regarding Kyler Murray and the Arizona Cardinals. Anytime you have a real good quarterback, you have a shot because that quarterback makes everybody better. I said the same thing about Aaron Rodgers. You have a shot when you've got a real good quarterback. And Russell Wilson is a bad man. Mm -hmm. I think Russell Wilson is the third best quarterback in the National Football League. And depending on who you're asking, he could be number two. Number one is Pat Mahomes. And depending on who you're asking, you might go Lamar Jackson or you might go Russell Wilson. But me personally, he's no worse, he's no he's no worse than three, mm -hmm. in my opinion. And he just displayed that Sunday. I mean, Russell Wilson, man, I let me pull up these numbers here. He was 30, 
one of 35. He had four incompletions, four touchdowns. I mean, he was outstanding. And the thing that was mind-boggling about their win, the last few years, they were, they've been one of the best rushing, running teams in the National Football League. They didn't do anything running the football. Carlos Hyde led them in, in rushing attempts. He had seven carries. Carson had six. Wilson, I mean, led, they, Wilson led the team in yards in rushing. Yes. Yes, he led them in yards in rushing. So we know they can run the ball. They, just, they, they decided not to run the ball. And just let's beat you with our, our MVP quarterback. Mm-hmm. And that's what they did. So, yes, they, listen, this team has a shot. They're playing against a much better defense at home in the, in the past. And granted, it's going to be a, a difficult task. But when you have Russell Wilson, you always got a shot. Yep, and you know, this defense with Jamal Adams back there, he was amazing as well on some. He was all over the place. Bobby Wagner, of course. And you look at this receiving core, obviously, with Metcalf, with Lockett, with Greg Olson now, with Moore. Carson was making plays out of the backfield. They'll get Josh Gordon eventually as well. So there are uh, some intriguing pieces on his offense. And if Russell Wilson is slinging it around the way he was on Sunday, I really like the Seahawks as a team that could finally get over the hump. You know, they keep on losing in the wild card round divisional round I feel like if this is the team that they just showed on Sunday this is a team that could finally get over the hump and especially in a year like this where all we talk about is continuity Pete Carroll and Russell Wilson have been together forever the last game I want to talk about here is one of the most enticing matchups this week it's, it's Texans Ravens and I know obviously you are a Steelers guy but what do you make of the Ravens after seeing them annihilate Cleveland on Sunday? Because all offseason long, people were telling me, yeah, Lamar was great last year, but now defensive coordinators have all offseason to figure him out. Clearly not, right? Oh, my goodness, man. Listen, Lamar Jackson, he continues to amaze me. He's added another element to his game, and that element is an accurate deep ball. And I said this on CBS Sports HQ. Uh, what he did Sunday was just, you know, spectacular. But it was kind of boring uh, when you look at the standards that Lamar has set with us watching Lamar because he didn't make the defenders look silly running the football. He didn't make them look silly in the pocket. All he did was stood, stood strong in the pocket and took shots down the football field. It was a stat I, I read. It was Lamar Jackson had a career best Sunday. He was 9 of 10, 180 yards of passes of 10 yards or more downfield. So mm-hmm. any pass that was at least 10 yards or more, he was 9 of 10, 180 yards. That is impressive. That was a career best. And that has been a concern for Lamar Jackson just completing the deep ball, right? Mm-hmm. And he has shown in one ball game, he has improved in that skill set as well because we know Lamar Jackson can make anybody look silly running the football. We know he can improvise and create something in the pocket that's not there because of his athleticism. But if he can do what he did Sunday, uh, what he had with five, four or five incompletions, uh, 275 and three touchdowns, mm-hmm. if he continues to add on that side of his game, man, listen, this offense might even be more scarier than what they were last year. It's unbelievable. And I'll share another stat with you here. I tweeted this out on Monday, I believe. And it's this, you know, Lamar Jackson has been in the league for three years. He's had three games, including now on Sunday, of a passer rating of 150 or better. No quarterback in NFL history has done, has had three such games in their first three seasons. And this is the big part about it. Lamar 
barely played in his first year, and he's only starting his third year now. No quarterback has ever done that in three full seasons. Lamar barely had a first season and is just starting his third season. What has he had? Like 23 starts so far? 24 starts? So what he's done since entering the league has been incredible. Obviously won MVP last year and he's not slowing down at all. That Baltimore defense is also just nasty as well. You know, Calais Campbell was one of my favorite trades from the offseason along with DeAndre Hopkins. Getting in for a fifth round pick was big. Patrick Queen, their first round pick, was all over the field on Sunday if you watch that game he was all over the place so another great player added to that defense and this week they get to face this Houston Texans team this team of course just played the Kansas City Chiefs on Thursday night and they really couldn't do much and I want to ask you about Deshaun Watson because you know Watson you know without DeAndre Hopkins for the first time it wasn't so great let me ask you this. How far could the Texans go with this team? Because they're 0-1. They have Baltimore this week. Then they have Pittsburgh next week in Pittsburgh. That's brutal. How do you see this team going? How far could they go with a team like this? I don't think they can go real far. Um, you have Deion, uh, Deshaun Watson. That's a plus. David Johnson looked pretty good uh, against the Chiefs. Um Still got to figure out who's going, going to be your go-to pass catcher. But that's not my concern. My concern is on the defensive side, right? Yeah. I mean, defensively, they could not – it wasn't even about stopping Pat Mahomes. They couldn't stop Clyde Edwards-Elair. I mean, Clyde had almost 140 yards in his rookie debut, over five yards of carry and a touchdown, 25 touches, 25 touches. And – Going into that ball game, especially fantasy owners, you know, many felt like, oh, Pat Mahomes probably is going to be his, you know, groundbreaking game, kicking down the doors, letting people know he's going, going back uh, to get a, another MVP. No, this was about the rookie. So me personally, seeing how soft the Texans' defense was, and you're playing against a team in the Baltimore Ravens, they can run the football. They just didn't have to run the football a lot against Cleveland, but they got the guys who can run the football along with the quarterback and J.K. Dobbins. He's a different type of runner in the backfield. He kind of fits what they like to do with that shotgun running mentality as well. And then when you look at their division, the Houston Texans, that is, you got Derrick Henry you got to see twice a year. You got the Colts, and I know they lost Marlon Mack, but that offensive line can definitely pave way for whoever it is running football. And don't forget about the lonely Jacksonville Jaguars. Yeah. So defensively, I'm concerned about their defense. Deshaun Watson is a, is a big-time uh, talent. So he's going to score points. He's going to make things happen, but he can't do it by himself. And the last, thing, last time I checked, he don't make any tackles. You know, here's the thing about the Texans' defense, by the way. You know, that game against the Chiefs, Clyde Edwards-Alaire, for example, we know him more as a receiving back. The Chiefs never had to go to him as a receiver because they were able to run the ball so easily. Patrick Mahomes, we know what's his specialty, just unleashing the ball and throwing those bombs and making crazy things happen. He didn't have to do that on Thursday night because he was able to find those holes and the soft spots in this Texans defense. That is for sure a concern as this team moves forward. And again, the schedule is brutal. They have Baltimore this week, Pittsburgh next week. After that, they have games with Minnesota. There's Green Bay. There's Tennessee. I think Jacksonville's in there as well, somewhere squeezed in. But that's a brutal schedule to start the year. We said this stat before. Teams that start 0-2 since 1990, only 12% of those teams actually turned it around 
and made the playoffs. I know the Texans were actually one of those teams who turned it around a couple of years ago, but still, in a year like this, in a division like this, with the Colts, with the Titans who won on Monday night, and even the Jaguars who are going to be a tough and annoying team this year, they have to get on track, and that's going to happen, um, get started again on Sunday when they take on the Baltimore Ravens. One more thing here before I wrap this up with you. You know, which team from week one should be most panicked here as we head into week two? I'll list you five teams. The Eagles, the Browns, the Cowboys, the 49ers, and the Buccaneers. The Eagles. The Eagles. You cannot tell me if you're not, if you were not a Washington football fan that you expected the Washington football team to beat the Eagles. Like, no one saw that happening, right? There might have been a few, but the majority, no. So for me, I go the Eagles because, number one, the expectations the Eagles had. Many felt like the NFC East was a two-team race between the Philadelphia Eagles and the Dallas Cowboys. And the way how the season ended for both teams, most felt like he was the Eagles' division lose once again. So the expectations the Eagles had going into this season was pretty high, at least winning the division. I think that's fair to say. But also, looking at how they lost, they're dealing with injuries. And it's one thing to deal with injuries, but you're dealing with injuries before the season even started, right? You started losing bodies before you played one ball game. And you're losing bodies on the offensive line. And I know Washington, they have the players on paper that can win you a ball game on the defensive line. And what we saw, those players put it on film last week against the Eagles. But you cannot surrender eight sacks against anybody. Washington had eight sacks on Carson Wentz, eight sacks. And then when you look at the offensive woes from the Eagles, they couldn't run the football. It didn't do them any favors that Miles Sanders was not in uniform. He's the best runner, but not even having Miles Sanders in the lineup, they couldn't run the football. And then they couldn't even stop Washington. That's the thing. Washington made timely plays against the Eagles defense who they made some additions. They, 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 they made some additions. I mean, they were able to get Darius Slay in there. Um, you know, you Hard added grade. some other quality. Hargraves from the Pittsburgh Steelers. Mm-hmm. So they added some pieces to help improve the defense, and they looked like the same defense that we saw over the last few years when it came to mental letdowns. The Reds, uh, Washington, I'm sorry, I got to get that name out of my head. <laughs> yeah. They were three and four in the red zone. Three and four in the red zone with a young quarterback. I mean, so Philadelphia, they shot themselves in the foot multiple times, three big-time turnovers, couldn't protect the quarterback, couldn't run, and couldn't get timely stops in the red zone. So I think they have the uh, – they I'm not necessarily saying they need to panic, but I'm definitely concerned with Philadelphia because, like I said, the expectations. You know what I mean? Many felt like this was a team that could easily – not easily, but had a legit shot to win their division. And the way how, how bad they performed against a team that I don't think have a shot making the playoffs – is definitely alarming. It was for sure one of the biggest surprises from Sunday. They're lucky that the Cowboys and Giants also lost this week. But speaking of tough schedules, look at this. They have the Rams this week, then the Bengals and Borough. But then after that, 49ers, Steelers, and Ravens. So this is a brutal schedule as well for them. This division, the NFC East, the last time there was a back-to-back division winner, the stat is fascinating, was 15 years ago, back in 2003 and 2004. It has not happened in 15 years since when Philadelphia did it back then with Andy Reid. Philadelphia won it last year, and at this rate, 
it looks like it could change again. Of course, we don't want to overreact, but it was a pretty ugly loss in week one. They have been pummeled by injuries on the offensive line, on the defensive mm-hmm. line, with their running backs, with their receivers. It has been insane after just one game for that to happen. It's going to be a very, very interesting season as this continues to go on. All right, Brian, I want to thank you for coming on the podcast once again this week. Everyone, of course, can follow you on Twitter and on Instagram. It is at BMAC underscore sports talk. You can check him out on CVS Sports HQ as well. Brian, thanks for coming on, man. Thank you for having me. Special thanks to Brian McFadden for coming on the podcast this week. Great stuff from him. Great insight. As I said in the introduction, you know, he was on this podcast back in May. And he won two Super Bowls with the Steelers. He was on those amazing defenses, a former second-round pick, and he shared a bunch of great stories in that episode. If you have not listened to it, go check it out. It is one of my favorite episodes because of all the great stories that he shared. That was the May 11 episode of the My Sports Update Football Podcast. That does it here for this week's episode of the My Sports Update Football Podcast. Thank you all for listening. Thank you all for downloading. It is so great to have football back week one went well week two will get underway here on thursday night the one thing that somebody did bring up to me which i thought was interesting this week is that everything is going well for the nfl so far which is obviously amazing but if there's one thing that maybe you should keep an eye on and maybe could become a concern is if what happens if there will be a team that is 0-5 or 0-6 or 1-7 we have to make sure that the players on that team just you know don't stop caring anymore and could possibly you know get into some trouble go outside go somewhere and that could cause an outbreak i know i'm kind of thinking ahead a little bit but it is something that you could ask yourself and think about because right now all 32 teams every single player every single team all the coaching staffs and all the people who are working with the teams are taking this very very seriously it's because of the beginning of the year we're just starting obviously everyone is excited about that but what happens when there will be a few teams that struggle that their seasons are basically already over we have to make sure that nothing goes wrong there i know the nfl i know teams have notified their players that they will be fine if they're caught doing something they shouldn't be doing but so far so good hopefully it keeps on going as the season rolls along i am your host ari merrill i'll be back with another episode next week for another special guest until then have a great rest of your week enjoy week two of the football season and i'll talk to you all next week This is Greg Olson, inviting you to check out my new Blue Wire podcast, TE1, where I interview tight ends throughout the history of the NFL who have helped revolutionize the position. TE1 is presented by the Chevy Silverado. The Silverado is all about grit. It's strong and dependable, exactly like playing tight end. Just like the incredible players we sit down with on the podcast, the Chevy Silverado is in a league of its own. Strong, advanced, and dependable. Download TE1 today, wherever you listen to podcasts.